right, let's go before the Lord. Lord, we come to you again. Do you hear us, God? We're here in this coffee shop and we desire to hear from your word. If this is your word and this is alive and it's living, then please speak to us through it. Please minister to our lives. We want to know your word, your manual to life better. We want to understand it thoroughly, your pictures of your love, your grace, your righteousness, your holiness, King. Please show us. Meet us here in this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. The last chapter of Genesis. We're finishing up the book. Genesis. It's done, man. I can't believe it. I mean, we are finishing this thing up. It just... It blows my mind out fast. I don't know why. I feel like we just barely started the thing. And, and many, many of you, you probably feel the same way. If you have been reading along, you know. And you'll see that... that you kind of have a sweet overview of the entire book of Genesis. And what I did today is I, I just went over it and chapter by chapter and did an overview of it. I just want to give a quick outline of the book of Genesis and everything that we looked through and everything that we saw. Now, I'm obviously not going to sit here and lecture on every single point, but I just want to take a look at each point. I'm going to give you just the chapters. You don't have to write these things down if you don't want to. But I just hope it refreshes your mind and brings us up to date on what we've gone through it. Hopefully the light bulb turns on and says, oh yeah, I remember that. That was sweet. That was a really cool sermon. I remember listening to that. That, that devotion really spoke to me. Okay? So, all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you remember, all the way back in the beginning, we see the creation of the earth and man. Creation, seven days, God creating the earth and creating man. Genesis 3 and 4, you see... The story of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. Remember? Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit. The sin, kicked out of the garden, all the rest. Cain and Abel, they have kids. Cain uh, gets upset at Abel, wants to kill him because his offering. He didn't obey God in his offering. We move on to Genesis chapter 5. Do you remember what that is? The genealogy of, from where? Adam to Noah. Do you remember what Genesis chapter 5, the illustration there, the picture there is beautiful, it's perfect. You take each name, you translate it, and then you line it up, and you read it, and it reads the gospel message perfectly. There in Genesis chapter 5, the genealogy from Adam to Noah. Then in Genesis chapter 6, the story of Noah begins in the flood, all the way to Genesis chapter 9. Noah being told, remember the people multiplying, they're wicked in that day. God tells Noah to build a giant box. I mean, crazy, you know, bigger than a football field. I mean, this thing was massive. I mean, can you imagine the people just mocking this thing day to day? Even in this day, what if God told you to build a giant box? It's like, you're like working on it, you're out there with a the hammer, your saws all, you're just working on it. It's like, okay, you're crazy. What are you building that box for? It's going to flood? Yeah, right. Whatever, you loony. But he obeyed God. And remember, him and his family get on, God closes the door, starts to rain, the flood comes, and Noah's on that ark for a long time. God speaks to him. The waters go down, and he is delivered. Remember Genesis chapter 10, Noah's descendants, Noah's descendants, listings of all of the generations of Noah. What do we find in there? We find each race, where every single race, and every single language, and every single people and culture came from. It's found right there in Genesis chapter 10. You can break down each one of the people and their culture, where they came from, where they went, um, and where they built their homes and their houses, and you can find all the people that were kind of uh, 
don't know what the word is, I guess branched out of all of the nations of the world of today. Chapter 11 here, you see the Tower of Babel, remember? The people come together real tight, and they start, uh, you know, just they become all one language, and they start speaking the same language, and once you get everybody together on the same page, hey, you can do something. Two, two brains are better than one. Two heads are better than one. All these people come together and they start feeling powerful and all the rest. They try to build a tower to God. And a uh, big mistake. God kind of causes confusions amongst them. And the, uh, the tower ends up, is, it, it all ends up going to waste because they causes confusion and each person goes off his way. Tower of Babel, we move on to Genesis chapter 12. Right after the Tower of Babel, Abraham comes on the scene. Remember, Abraham and Sarah. Sarah and the promises they get from God. From Genesis 12 all the way to Genesis chapter 20, you see Abraham and Sarah and all the stuff going down. Like what? Abraham, remember, lying to Pharaoh about Sarah. You remember that? Tells him, that's my sister, because he doesn't want you know, to be killed and he doesn't want all the stuff to be taken. So... Pharaoh ends up getting bummed and he gives him all this stuff because he's like, dude, you lied to me, man. What are you trying to do? You know, God's going to kill me for this. And he gives him a bunch of stuff and in that he gets a maid named who? Hagar. 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 He gets a maid named Hagar. Sarah does. And that maidservant ends up being the mother of Ishmael. Do you remember? God had promised Abraham a son. And who's that son? Isaac. Promise him a son named Isaac, and Abraham disobeys, and Sarah disobeys, and they uh, gives Hagar, the maidservant, to Abraham, or his wife does. And Abraham sleeps with her and has Ishmael, and that's where we get what? The entire Arab nation today. Yes, you know it. You understand it thoroughly. And then we pick up, and Abraham pleads with God. You remember about Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot, delivering his nephew Lot. You remember that? God goes and says, if there's even 50 righteous, please save the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's like, okay, there's even one. You got, I mean, if there's one, if 50 righteous, he breaks it all the way down to 10, all the way down to one, 10 righteous. And there wasn't even 10 righteous in the entire city. And so what did God do? He destroyed the entire city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Still with homosexuality and all this crazy adultery and fornication. Remember Sarah, his wife, turns back there and looks at the city after God had told him not to. And what happens? She turns to the pillar of salt. I've been there in those lands. It's pretty crazy. The Dead Sea, this is salt. I mean, I should have brought it today. You know, I could show you guys, or even when we're going through that passage. I picked up in the Dead Sea. If you get in the Dead Sea, it's the lowest part on the face of the earth, so all water flows in, nothing flows out. Everything's dead. You get in, you chipper there. You get in, and you float. It's just crazy. I mean, you... you you're floating in the water, you're above. You don't have to swim, you don't have to do anything. You're just floating. And it's because the salt contact is so huge. And I grabbed pieces, just rocks from the bottom of the sea, and it's solid salt. I have it up on my dresser. These pieces of salt. I guess I could use it for my food if I wanted to. Okay, who cares? But Sodom and Gomorrah wiped out. Sarah looks back. Lot and his family are saved. And we see... Isaac coming to be in Genesis chapter 21. Isaac. Isaac is whose son? Abraham. Abraham. Stay with me here, please. Let's move through these facts. The promised son Isaac comes in Genesis 21. And he moves all the way until 27. You see Isaac is what? Put on the altar. Do you remember Genesis chapter 22? Abraham tries to sacrifice his son Isaac. What a great picture of who? Jesus our king. 
Yes, that was a great study. Isaac, you remember he goes and marries Rebecca. Remember, she was beautiful. And what, what happened with Rebecca? She watered, remember, all the camels, ten of the camels she watered. And he was just like, man, that's a woman right there. I can't believe she did that for me. He's stoked on her. She's gorgeous. He chases after I'm sorry, actually, the servant comes and takes her back <coughs> to Isaac, and he marries her. Isaac has two sons. Do you remember who they were? Esau and Jacob. Esau and Jacob. Remember, Esau means what? Harry. Harry. <laughs> he was Harry, man. He, he was a brute. I mean, the guy, he's Harry. Jacob, remember, he was a smooth-skinned fella. He was really smooth. He was a con artist, that's for sure. He was the heel catcher, Jacob. We see Jacob, the story of Jacob come into play in Genesis 28, all the way through 35, chapter 35. Remember Jacob the heel catcher, the con artist. He was sneaky, a little sneaky snake, that's what he was. Jacob cons, remember the birthright and the blessing from Esau and his father Isaac. You remember that? Cons, cons his brother. Remember his brother's like all starving. He's like, man, give me some porridge, I'm starving. And, and Jacob had been cooking in the kitchen. He's a little girl, he's not out there in the field anyways. He, he was cooking, and then he's like, well, give me your birthright, and I'll give you some food. And he's like, okay. So he gives him his birthright. Your birthright is like everything. You get the inheritance of all that your father has is passed down on the, through the birthright, through the firstborn. Second thing he does to Isaac, do you remember? His mother goes and gets him. He gets some goat skins and puts it on his neck, and then he gets some porridge and his father's favorite meal and gives it to him. And Jacob does what? Is blind. Jacob's blind, he can't tell that it's not his boy, it's, it's not Esau, the firstborn, so he blesses Jacob, he gives Jacob the blessing. And Esau comes to kill him, remember, he just, he's ticked. So, Jacob ends up running away, and what happens? He finds, do you remember the wife? Do you remember Jacob's wife? What's her name? Rachel. Rachel. Rebecca's his mom. Rachel, do you remember, what did he do? Rachel, yeah, yeah, that's right, he kissed her. He just walked up and laid one on her right away. But more than that, remember he works seven years for her sister Leah. Remember Laban? Remember the father like swoops on him and works him and is just like, oh, you want to work for my daughter? Work seven years. And then what happens? The marriage night comes and what does he do? He's like, here you go. Yeah, it changes up the sisters, man. He got worked. The next morning he wakes up like, that's not my bride, man. That's not Rachel. That's Leah. That's the remember the one that's hard to look at. You know, the tender eye. <laughs> not me. <laughs> Anyways, so but he ends up working 14 years for who? For Rachel, the one that he sought after, the one that he really wanted. He gets worked by Laban. Jacob he ends up having four wives because remember, with Leah came a maidservant, and then with who? With Rachel came a maidservant. So he four what? Polygamy, man, this is wrong. And remember, the women were fighting, and they were just like having a hard time, wondering if Jacob truly loved them. But what happened? Through those four women, who came out? The, four, the twelve tribes of Israel, man. The grace of God. Through polygamy, he birthed the twelve tribes of Israel. That's grace, man. That's insane. That's our king. He takes the most mucky, sick, disgusting thing in the gutter, turns it into a beautiful gem, a diamond, man, just perfecto. That's you, that's me. That's what he's done with us. What an amazing king. Remember, at the end of Jacob, or I'm sorry, not at the end of Jacob's life, but towards there at the end of 35, right there at the end of those chapters, Jacob wrestles with God, and his name is changed to what? Israel. Do you remember what Israel means? Anybody know what Israel means? 
governed by God. Governed by God. Israel means governed by God. Remember what happened? Jacob's like, he's got the headlock on God? I don't think so. God probably had a headlock on him. But they were struggling. He was like holding God there. I'm not going to let you go to you. Bless me. God touches his hip straight up. Pops out. You know, he's just sitting there paralyzed. And then he tells, I bet you Jacob, he limped for the rest of his life, you know, because he touched his hip out. And now it means governed by God. You were to rely on God. You were to rest on God. And so now you see maybe Jacob walking with a cane, resting on God, a thorn in his flesh, that limp for the rest of his life. I'll never forget that day he wrestled with God. But Jacob was changed. He had a new name. There's been a day when God has changed you and me when he came into your life. Came into my too, gave us a new name. And now we are governed by God. We rest in Him. A quick chapter that comes into play there. You remember Genesis 36? We did a whole study on it. Remember the generations of Esau? Remember the Edomites? Remember what happened with the Edomites? They were like a wicked nation. And remember, why were they a wicked nation? Because Esau married who? The Canaanite woman. Remember, they stay away from the Canaanite woman. That's the one that's going to take you down mess you up. And that's exactly what he did. He married one. And, and his father had warned him. Messed up big. Closing this up here, this, uh, this outline, this overview. We find the story of Joseph starting in Genesis 37. The story of Joseph, man. It's just one of my favorites. You just can't beat it. It's one of the most righteous men to ever walk the face of the earth, Joseph. Look at what has happened to him. Joseph, remember he was the favored one. Remember he had the beautiful coat. He had the big sleeves. He's walking around, you know, it's like, like the 70s or something, you know, like the wind's blowing, he's walking around with his high heel. Anyways, I was going to do that. Anyways, uh, Joseph, he was favored, and his father gave him a coat. And remember, his brothers are jealous, and so what did they do? They sold him off. Sold him off into slavery. Who did, they, who did he end up with? Do you remember the name of the guy? The name that Joseph sat under. You remember, come on. Potiphar. Potiphar. He sat under Potiphar. And you remember what happened next? Stone in prison. Why? Because Potiphar's wife tried to sleep with the man. She just grabbed him, remember, by the coat. And he tried to run, and he straight up just, he ran. And his, his clothes came off, man. You know, he just ran out the door naked. He just went for it. He's like, I'm out of here. And what did she do? She started screaming and yelling and all the rest. He, he, he did this to me, blah, 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 blah. Told Potiphar, and Potiphar was like, oh, Joseph. Remember, Joseph was at the top of the pyramid, man. He made it all the way to the top there in Potiphar's house. And he gets taken off into prison because this wife, this adulterous wife, this Canaanite woman, I guess you could say, was trying to mess with him. But Joseph was a faithful man. He continued faithful. Then what happened? He goes to prison. Remember, he gets risen up to the top of the prison. And he translates a couple guys uh, in uh, dreams, he interprets them. You got, I think it's the cupbearer and the bake, the butler, the baker. The cupbearer and the baker. And uh, he interprets their dreams. And remember, one ends up dying, and the other one ends up going to Pharaoh, and uh, he gets set free. And then he forgets to tell Pharaoh, you know, what Joseph had done that he interpreted the dream and to set him free and all the rest. A couple years go by, Pharaoh needs a dream interpreted. Hey, I remember that Hebrew boy. The cupbearer said. I remember that Hebrew boy back in prison. He interprets dreams, Pharaoh. But da da da. Talks with them. Joseph comes up. Interprets Pharaoh's dream right before him. Remember, a famine's going to come in the land. Seven years of famine. I'm seven years of prosperity, then seven years of famine. Joseph, 
You were second in command over all of Egypt, Pharaoh gave to him. And then now what? Joseph is to take care of the famine. And what happens? His brothers come and bow before him. Amazing, because they're in the famine too. Papa sends them off, and all this crazy stuff happens. Remember him taking them to prison? I mean, we just talked about that last week. Not going to go into deep. But Joseph, his brothers come, just like the dream said, and they bow before him about 20 years later. And Joseph's whole family ends up moving to Egypt, which we saw in these last chapters. And after, or this last week, and after about 17 years in Egypt, Jacob dies. And remember in 49, this is this last chapter, what does he do? He blesses, or he gives the blessings and the commands to his 12 sons, who are what? The 12 tribes of Israel. Now, quick overlay, quick uh, something on 49. Uh, kind of hard to understand a little bit of poetry in there, you know, kind of the way that he is phrasing the things. But he's speaking to each one of his boys. It's like, if I was about to die and you were my kids... And I would come to each one of you and say, it was thought out, it was well thought out, the things that I was praying about, talking to the Father about, the things that I'm going to say to you individually before I die. And so I say these things, and I share these things with you, knowing that I'm about to pass. I say to each one of you certain things. Now, these things were definitely divine, and they're a little heavy. But what you see here is Jacob instructing his boys, but more than that, I would encourage you to check out some, sweet, some commentaries on the prophecy here in this text. And what you see, in order, it's amazing, the chapter's made, in order, is Joseph talks to each one of his boys, boom, boom, one after another, you see the history of Israel all the way from their beginning, all the way till their end of the book of Revelation. If you look in these blessings that are given, you look deep in each one, you will see an outline from beginning to end, all the way to the book, the end of the book of Revelation, on what Israel is, and what their part is, and where they're playing out. It's amazing. I encourage you to check it out. So, there's that. We're moving now into Genesis chapter 50, the last chapter. That's the book of Genesis. This book starts with a creation and ends with a coffin. It's going to end with death. It's going to end with a man dying. Joseph. This chapter is... There is some sweet grace in this chapter that I'm really excited to look at. But what has happened? Jacob just blessed his boys, and he's died. He's about to die. He's dying right here in verse 1. He's dying right there in, I'm sorry, the last verse of chapter 49. And we pick up in verse 1 here what's happening. It says, And Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. Man, Joseph loved his father. You know, he'd only been able to spend about 17 years there with his dad in Egypt. In all those years, you notice, I don't know if any of the other brothers came and fell on their father. Maybe they did. It's not stated here in the text, but it's stated that Joseph did. Man, Joseph loved his pops. He loved his dad so much. You know, it may not be an encouragement to each one of you guys. Maybe you need to go home and love your parents, you know. You go home and bless them, take out the trash, do the dishes, love on them for the things that they have done for you and been there for you in, huh? And you're saying, my parents are jerks. They're lame. They left. I don't know where they're at. But I would encourage you to pray for them. 
I would encourage you to pray for them wherever they're at and to ask God to have grace upon them and to minister unto them and to change them. And that if you do still have contact with them, that you would show love to them like they've never seen. Remember that love that the little boy walking up to the bully? The bully beats up the little boy for his lunch money every single day. And the day that the bully doesn't beat up the little boy for his lunch money, the little boy walks up and says, Hey, here's five bucks. Nobody shows that kind of love. Nobody loves in that way. When somebody does wrong to us, we get mad at them. What would happen if we, when people got angry at us, or did things mean to us, we loved them, we blessed them. Who knows? Maybe so too with your parents. Be that child in that home, that Joseph in that home, that Josephina in that home. Hey, that really lives a life set apart for the king. That really blesses your parents. Man, I just, my dad, he, I mean, I, I think I was a really bad kid when I was younger, but you know, like, I'm serious, I'm just a bad kid, you know, I just. But my dad, he just, there's, there's one of the greatest joys I get out of this life is when I do something for my dad, he's just like so stoked. Like he can just not believe. Like when I tell him the things that I get to do and the things that are happening in my life, like he, he's a Christian, he loves the king, he's been doing, he's a worship leader for like 30 years, the guy's awesome, he plays piano, he's amazing. And, I mean my dad, he's just like so stoked, like when, when anytime I share something with him, you know, anytime I spend some good time with him, he's just like blown away at what God is doing in my life. And I've come to this conclusion, that doesn't matter how much money I make or what kind of wife I bring home one day or what, what I do and succeed in or where it, it doesn't matter. The thing that my father is most impressed in and I think, that the, I think and believe that the thing that most of your parents will be impressed and blessed in even if they're not a Christian is you serving the king, you living for God. Because when I tell my father about things that I'm doing, being able to teach here or, or do lead worship there, I mean, or just the little stuff that we do, just in helping out people, man, he is like, he tells me, he's like, son, I'm so proud of you. I can't believe what you've become. I can't believe what you're doing. That's one thing. My dad never pushed me to be like a big money maker, a machine, or great at sports, or all the rest. The one thing he always pushed, love the king, live for the king. Worship Him and bless Him. And you know what? I'm telling you, even if your parents don't push you to do that, the greatest thing you can bring to them, the greatest gift that you can bring, just like Joseph did, is the principles of the Word, man, living for God. They look at your life and say, man, what a great kid. God, I'm so blessed to have you. You go out of your way to bless me and help me. You're always there. You don't talk back. I believe Joseph would this to his father, and he loved his father dearly. And we see that here. He fell on his father's face and wept on him and kissed him. Verse 2, And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. And the physicians embalmed Israel. Love that. Forty days were fulfilled for him, for so were fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him Three score in ten days, or seventy days. Now listen, embalming, did you check that? Did you see that? 
Joseph commands his physicians to embalm his father. Now this is Egypt, man. Embalming. I looked this up, like ancient Egypt stuff, like what's going on there. I was in Egypt. It was sick. It was in the Egyptian museum. And I saw the mummies. These mummies are crazy. We didn't get to see the actual like King Tut and these kind of guys, but we saw mummified... Oh, actually I did. I saw one mummified body, but I also saw a mummified animal. I saw a mummified alligator like 30 feet long. It was crazy. And they wrapped this thing up and it's still all intact. I mean, you can see the scales on it. You, a dog. They had a dog mummified. You could see the fur. It was still on there. I mean, the, the coat of the fur, it was still there. I mean, little... It's crazy. Mummification the way the Egyptians did it. Joseph, remember? He was number two in command in all of Egypt. So what did they do? He commands them to embalm his father. Now, I mean, Joseph's number two in command, so he's probably like, you better do a good job. This is my pops. I love him. You know, he just fell in and kissed him. I wonder, well, just listen to the embalming process before we get into that. This is what happens. The ritual begins as soon, as soon as somebody dies. Bam. Right away, embalmment takes place. I mean, they start doing this thing. This is what they do. The brain is removed. And it gets a little sick. Just listen. But it's uh, usually down the nostril. I almost picked my nose there. Did you see that? <laughs> down the nostril. And then it's thrown away. The stomach is open and the insides are removed. The heart remains in the body. The parts that have been removed were dried. Interesting. When cleaned, they're perfumed and wrapped in cloth. And they're placed in these jars. Four jars. These jars would later be placed in a wooden chest to be buried with the mummy. Once the organs had been removed, the drying process was held by packing the body with sand and rags or dry grass. Interesting. The body was then covered in natron, whatever that is, with the table at the, at the angle so that the fluid would drain away from it. This part of the process took 40 days. What did the Bible just mention? It said 40 days were fulfilled for him. I love this, man. What a sweet parallel. Here are historians and archaeologists and experts on mummies telling us what happens and how it takes place. And what does the Bible do? Lines up exact with what it says. 40 days it took to do this. The stuffing was then removed from the body, which was clean. It's dried and stuffed again. And then because the sin was so shriveled, lotions were applied to soften it. Then they cut the stomach and stitched the body and coated resin to make it firm. And so it's waterproof. Interesting. Finally, the body's bandaged. In a ritual, it took 15 days. With the bandages, uh, were placed a spiritual protection for the body. Anyways, that's what happened, and that's what they did. And that's what they're doing right here. I looked up. Uh, I looked up something. There's this uh, British museum in London. There's a man they call his name Ginger. It says he lived more than five. Ginger, I don't know. It says he lived more than five thousand years ago. I don't know about that. Uh, and the reason being is because the flood. We know it was 4,400 years ago, and we could get into that, but we're not going to. And so he's probably been washed away completely. But anyways, probably somewhere right around there, about 4,400 years ago, maybe even 4,000 years ago. Um, and this body, it's still there, and, and it's really preserved. It was, he was an Egyptian, and he was buried uh, in a hot, dry desert. It gave him uh, this 
this really warm grave where he'd be so hot there that it would dry out all the liquids uh, very fast and the body would not decay. And so what I'm thinking here is, I mean, Chip, we were there. We saw and we traveled there in Israel where um, we're going to see where they buried the father, where they buried Jacob, then also where they buried Joseph. We'll see in Exodus later on. Well, first they bury him in Egypt, then they take him to the Promised Land. But besides that, I wouldn't be surprised if these bodies could be still around. I mean, Joseph, literally, it literally could be around, especially if they're still finding mummies from that time. And because Joseph preserved his father, remember? He's number two in command next to Pharaoh. I want my father done correctly. I want this thing preserved well. I'm sure that this man was wrapped very well and done perfectly. And so that'd just be crazy if all of a sudden Jacob popped up one day. And uh, it's like, there's the body of Jacob. Well, he would be wrapped like a mummy. Why did I share all that with you? I just thought it was cool stuff. Okay, period. So let's move on to what's happening here in the text. Verse 4, And when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I died in my grave, which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan. There shalt thou bury me. Now therefore let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. And Pharaoh said, Go up, bury your father, according as he has made thee swear. So what did, what did Jacob tell Joseph before he died? He said, Hey, I want to be buried with my fathers. There's that piece of land where Abraham that Abraham bought years ago. Abraham bought years ago, and I want to be buried there. Please take me to the land of Canaan. And so he told Pharaoh that. Pharaoh's like, go man, bury your dad. Go for it. Go bury your father. Verse 7, And Joseph went to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh's house and the elders of the house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. Verse 8, And all the house of Joseph and his brothers and his father's house, only their little ones and their flocks and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. And there they went up, both chariots and horsemen, and it was very great company. There's a ton of people, man. All of Joseph's servants, all of his family, all of his brother's kids, and his I mean, there's a lot of people cruising in this pack. Jacob made a huge impact on some people. Let's just move on. Verse ten. And they came to the threshing floor at Atat, which is beyond Jordan, and there they mourned with a great very sore lamentation. And he made mourning for his father seven days. Interesting. Seven days he mourned. Remember we talked about that? About a funeral? In the Jewish way, the way that they did it? A man? Somebody dies? Then that day, you start mourning. They're buried. They, they bury that day, the Jews do. But then, right there, seven days start. And uh, you mourn for seven days. Remember, you don't take a shower. You don't bathe. You don't shave. You don't change your clothes. You stay right there in the clothes that you're wearing for seven days and you mourn. Why? So you get past the mourning process. You cry and you sit there. You just sit there in what you are and you mourn for seven days. And man, after those seven days, I'm sure you're pretty done. I mean, you should still probably think about the person to get sad. But man, you've mourned your seven days. It's done. It's over. And that's what happened here. That's what Joseph did. Verse 11, And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites saw the mourning in the floor, Atat, they said, this is grievous mourning of the Egyptians, wherefore the name was called Abel Mizpah. 
Ram, which is beyond Jordan. And his sons did come according as he had commanded them. And his sons carried him into the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, which Abraham bought the field for a possession of bearing place of Ephron the Hittite before Mamre. So we see where did they take him? To the land of Canaan and they put him in a cave. I love how specific the Bible is. We could go look for this thing, man. I mean, in a cave, go find the mummified body. He's in there, in the land of Canaan. It's right there. It says it. And the sweetest thing is, the Bible is so accurate. You know, Jay did something a little while back. Um, he showed me this video when we were in Israel. And it was about the um, where Moses traveled and where the Ten Commandments, I'm sorry, where uh, Mount Sinai is and all the rest. And man, it's a sweet video. Jay, can you recommend it? Sorry, I was talking about you know Mount Sinai. Maybe you can reckon, uh, reckon what, what's the name of the video and where can you find it? It's called The Search for the Real Mount Sinai. This is a quick reference. This will just really, I mean, talk about getting you grounded in your faith and talk about uh, getting you really solid on a firm foundation. Listen, listen, stay with me. Gird your mind, stay with me. Talk about really believing what you believe and understanding why you believe what you believe. When you see documentaries like this one that I had seen, it's just like, it's like, man, this thing is so true. I mean, the exact steps that the Bible speaks about where they walked and where they went, I mean, it's precise. It's right there. It's amazing. All the things are left um, over that Moses had done, the, the splitting of the rock, man. The top of this mountain is completely, it's like black. There's no other mountain around it that's black. It's just like, it's, it's burned. The rocks... Have, have, they've gone through some intense heat and they've melted on the outside. You break them open and you see rock on the inside. Just an outer layer of like melted rock, black. Some of the other things, Jay. Um, well, I know a lot of you probably seen the video because I showed it on, uh, on the Friday or the Saturday. Did you get, how many of you guys seen it? How many of you guys have seen it? Okay. okay. So a few of you. Yeah, but uh, like Josh was saying, I mean, the mountain would have been blackened because God appeared in a fire. When he appears in the Old Testament, he always appears in fire. So the whole top of Mount Sinai was on fire. Um, so that's why the, the rocks would have been black. In fact, uh, it says in the account that uh, that God also met with Moses and, and Aaron over by the rock that was split, if you remember the story. Uh, and there happens to be a big black patch sitting right by the rock, right by the split rock, that matches the top of the, of the mountain as well, showing that, that God really was there. There's no other logical explanation or scientific explanation as to why there would be blackened rock there. None at all. Um, I mean, they found an underwater land bridge that went from the tip of Egypt, the Sinai Peninsula, into Arabia, uh, that goes for about 10 miles underwater, uh, straight across. There's a, there's, a, there's a land bridge that goes straight across. It's insane. Absolutely insane uh, that that would be there. There's other small details that were found, but really what John Which was trying to show that really, really that the Bible comes to life and uh, there's down to the archaeological evidence that's there. It's just uh, pretty encouraging. One cool thing that's not mentioned in the scripture is corroborating evidence that they found. Um, when they were coming along, they found these caves that were that were being fenced off by, yeah. the, uh, by the Saudi Arabian government. And... Uh, there were army trucks and all sorts of uh, 
you know, personnel there, and there was a Syrian archaeologist who spoke English and noticed that they were Americans and kind of asked them, uh, you know, what they were doing, and they were asking, what are these caves, and, you know, why are you fencing them off? Because they had found writings in there uh, saying that the prophet uh, Moses came through here with the children of Israel and camped by the water right there by the caves. And uh, that's, that's some serious evidence. That it's crazy. Inside the cave, it says, you know, Moses, the prophet, has been there. And, like, everybody knows. All the locals there know. It's just like, oh, yeah, that's where Moses and his people came through, and they wrote their name on the wall or whatever. You know, it's like, that's where Moses came. Everybody just knows that. Oh, where's the Moses that, uh, I mean, where's the Moses? Where's the mountain that Moses went up on? Oh, it's that black hill over there. Everybody knows. Like, everybody there in that place, in that desert, understands this thoroughly. But we have no clue. I mean, a lot of people... I think the Mount Sinai is there in the at the bottom of Egypt. Um, it's it's not. It's there yeah, in Saudi Arabia. Only because uh, Constantine, who uh, kind of made Christianity the state religion with Catholicism, his mom kind of went around to uh, to a few different sites and just said, okay, well that's that, and that's the oh this is where Jesus did this. So hey, look, this is Mount Sinai. Uh, they had she had some uh, psychic say that that was Mount Sinai, which it really wasn't. There's no good evidence for it. Oh, there you go. So, so, so why do we bring this up and why are we spending this time? It's called Search for the Real Mount Sinai. I would encourage you to check it out. It's crazy. I mean, there, there's, there's a couple other things. There's like a 40-foot altar there that's, that was left there at the bottom of the mountain. There's like where the water came out of the rock and it spilled down into this giant, I mean, this giant lake bed, it looks like, and there's just tons of rocks down there. There's video. I mean, it's video of it. It's just sweet. So, the Bible is always lining up, and I would love to go look for the body of Jacob. Jay? Can you go search? Chip, you ready? Have a trip, man. Anyways, let's move on. Let's finish this up. We haven't even got to the best part yet. Verse 14, And Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up with him to bury his father, after he had buried his father. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us. And we'll certainly requite us of the evil which he did unto him, which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, that father did command before he died, saying, stop there, stop there, right before we jump into that. Did you notice what happened there in verse 15? So what's happened? Jacob's father, I mean, Joseph's father is dead, Jacob. The brothers are on their way back, and what happens? The brothers walk up or they send a messenger. They're all scared. They're like, oh snap. Papa's dead. Joseph's going to come and get revenge on us now because dad's dead. Like he's been just holding it all inside this whole time. He's acting like he forgave us. He's just playing the role in front of daddy. But now, he's going to come and work us. He's going to take revenge on us. And so what they do is they they come together as a group and it's like, man, we got to do something. Here... Let's send a messenger to Joseph telling him that Father said this before he died. And this is what he said. But this is what they say he said. In verse 17. So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespasses of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto you evil. And now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of the servants of God of thy Father. We'll stop there before we read that last verse. You probably already read it. But look. So what does he do? The servant goes to Joseph and he walks up to him and he's like, look, hey, your father said something before he died. Listen, he said this. 
You've got to forgive your brothers for the trespasses and the wrong things they did to you. You've got to forgive them. That's what he's asking. The brothers. I was just so bummed when I read this part. I didn't even remember this in the text. When I read it, I was just so heavy in my heart. Like, what? Papa's dead. They just mourn and they weep. Joseph, he's probably got a soft heart right now. He's just finished mourning. He's just like, okay, time to move on. The brother's like, Joseph's going to come and try to kill us. Joseph's going to try to get revenge on us. And they send this messenger to Joseph. And I, can't, just, I just can't even imagine Joseph being there. If you were Joseph and you're sitting there, and some guy walks up to you and is just like, Hey man, you know, father said, you know, your father said before he died that you better forgive your brothers of everything they did. All of the sin that they ever did to you, make sure it's forgiven, this and that. I mean, can you imagine? 17 years of being with his father, and his father didn't share that with him, and now supposedly he shares this with him. After he's dead, Joseph's father sends a message. Jacob sends a message to Joseph. Doesn't make sense. Joseph's heart must have been broken. Like, me and my dad were so tight, man. I mean, I was the kid, we remember, with the big sleeves and the colorful coat, man. I was like, that was my papa's boy. He can share everything with me. He was open. He was honest. And now he's sharing this with me. And what does it say happened to Joseph? Joseph wept when they spoke unto him. When they spoke unto him. His brothers must have come up something. They must have come together. They start talking about it. Joseph, you know, Father said you got to forgive us, man. And this word wept here, this, it doesn't mean that he was just bawling his eyes out. What it means is just, it's light weeping. It's used for light weeping, like a, like a, like a tear rolling down his cheek. Just like sitting there and his brothers come up, Joseph, you got to forgive us, man. Father said you have to forgive us before you die. They see his eyes just well up and just like, you know, this tears just run down his face like, man... Don't you guys get it? Don't you guys understand what I've been telling you this whole time? You think I'm faking? You think I'm fronting to you? I brought you into my house. I hooked you up in Egypt. I gave you everything. And you still don't believe me that I've forgiven you? It's done? And he weeps? Look what it says in verse 18. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Before we be your servants, or behold, we be your servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I am in, am I in the place of God? With a question mark. He says, But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass. And it is this day to save much people alive. Stop there. They come and they bow before him. And he looks at him. he's like, what are you guys doing? Don't fear me. I'm not God. I can't judge you. I'm not going to judge you. This is not my place. Don't you know that God meant this for good? Don't you guys get it? I've been telling you for years. When are you going to understand that this is all a part of God's plan? You guys selling me off into slavery. You guys getting jealous and persecuting me and all the rest, sending me off and me being in prison for all these years. And then me rising up. You want to know what it was for? You want to know why God did all that? It's so I could save you guys during that famine. 
It's so that you would have food to eat. That's why God has done all this. If I wasn't sent to Egypt, and I was not there in prison for all those years, and then raised up second highest in command to take care of the famine, you would be dead. But it's all part of God's plan. This is why He has done it. But notice what he says there in verse 19. He says, Fear not, for I am, am I in the place of God? Can I judge? What a heart of Joseph. You know, we Christians, a lot of times, are real quick to judge. Huh? What's the deal? Because we set standards in our own lives, or because we supposedly set a, a certain level for everybody to live by, as soon as somebody else messes up, boom. Hey, calling them out instantly. Don't be doing that. Hey, I love a quote that I heard from a great man. He said this, God speaking to you and to me, you do the loving, I'll do the judging. That's the truth. God's the one who judges. Judge not lest you be judged, Matthew chapter 7 tells us. Now we can look at people and analyze the things that they're doing and encourage them in their faith or even rebuke and correct one of your friends, man, who you love and you care about. But God forbid you put down someone else when you have problems in your own life. And Joseph knows this and sees this here in verse 19. He's like, hey, fear not, man. I'm not God. God will judge you. You don't have to be scared of me. And I bet he was just so broken and so blown away. Like, don't you guys get it, man? God was working all this out for good. God was moving it. Haven't you seen my life? Haven't you seen the way that I live? Haven't you seen the way that I treat you guys? If I wasn't going to kill you, I would have done it way back a couple chapters ago. I would have took you guys out, man, when you were bowing before me. Do you remember that? You bowed before me five times. I could have said off with your head. But I didn't. The grace... The heart of God. I love this. I love this. Look at this next verse here in verse 21. Are you ready? Get ready for this next verse. It's just amazing. He says, after he tells them, God meant it for good. Hey, he brought it all to pass. He did it so he could save much people. Look what Joseph says to his brothers who sent him to prison, who worked him and now are calling him out and just being idiots right now. He says, Now therefore fear not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake, spoke kindly unto them. I wrote in the devotional day, those of you who read it, that if those boys, if my... It's oh, my fault. Did you, did you hear that at day seven? That was my phone too. That was yours? Yeah! <laughs> you know, I, I think there's something wrong because I've been like turning it off and I've been turning it down and somehow it's like malfunction. Oh, we got to work on that. Anyways, anyways, listen. The devotion I wrote today, did, did, you, did you remember? If you, those of you who read it, I write and I talk about how I would have been so bummed at my brothers if they would have done this to me. After all I've done for you, after all that I've been there for you, now you're going to come and set this thing up and send this Joe Schmo to come and tell me that I need to forgive you guys? Woo! My blood would just start to boil like, you little busters. I'll never do anything for you ever again. Get out of my house. I can't believe you'd even say something like that to me. But what does Joseph do? 
He is not the one who points the finger and says punishment. He is the one who says, hey guys, forgiven, forgotten, man. I don't even know what you're talking about. This forgiven stuff, I did that a long time ago. You remember when you threw me in the pit? Forgiven. Remember when you sent me off to prison? Forgiven. I forgave a long time ago. I'd forgotten a long time ago. And, and, and I'm telling you guys tonight, Joseph, I believe, was at no war and had no enemies with anyone, not even Pharaoh, not even the Egyptians. Look at this. He had no enemies in prison. He had no enemies with anyone. How did he pull this off? Because he was continuing to forgive all the time. And guess what? You want to know why you have problems with people? You want to know why people rub you the wrong way? and Not being rubbed the wrong way, it's just because of who they are. But why? You have a hard time. I've noticed this in my life. The only way I can stay at peace with all people is to bend over backwards for them sometimes. And pronounce forgiven. When they deserve to be lit up, to be called you little buster. I can't believe you did that. Listen, I'm serious. There are people in our lives that will come our way. Men who are just hard to get along with sometimes. But the only way that I have found in my own personal life to keep peace or to try to make peace is to bend over backwards. I have to. Joseph does here in this text to his brothers. Look what he does. He nourishes them and his children and their children. And then he speaks kindly to them. I'm telling you, if there's people in your life or you have enemies, the reason why is because you have not forgiven them. But what do I have to forgive them? They did it to me. Forgive them. But why do I have to be kind to them? They did that and this to me. Forget about it. Joseph did. And Jesus has too. Jesus has bent over backwards for you and for me, has he not? He has a lot to hold against us. And we deserve to be lit up. And we deserve to be called buster. But I'm telling you, when you love people, when you bend over backwards for them, you know, I remember one time, one time recently, you know, like, somebody called me out for something. It was like, you know, like six months ago or something. They called me out. And I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was just like, I'm going to sneak it. Ooh! You know, I'm going to work. I mean, my flesh was just flaring. Like, my pride was just coming up. Like, you're going to call me out for something I didn't even do? Like, Joseph is doing to his brothers? I mean, the brothers are doing to Joseph? I'm like... And I sat there. I'm telling you, through the conversation, I'm sitting there just taking these blows. I'm just like... You don't even know what happened, and I can't believe you're even doing this to me. That's what I'm thinking in my mind. That's what's going through. And all of a sudden, the Father just starts to speak to me, just starts to push on me. And you know what? If I would have came off, and I would have lit that fool up and just told him what's up, like, you, you don't even know the situation, and you shouldn't even been talking about me with this, somebody else. You should have rebuked them for talking about me, all the rest. I can't even believe you've allowed it to come this far. I mean, I could have just destroyed him, brought out the scripture and hammered him with the word, judge. But I felt the Lord just start to speak to me, like, just shut your mouth. <laughs> shut that mouth, Josh, and you be quiet, Tom. <laughs> shut that mouth, Tom. And you know, God gave me peace. 
And I realized, I realized that in that moment, if I would have lit him up, that I would have not had a relationship with him anymore. My relationship would have been broken, and it would have been done. And we would be enemies, or we, there would be conflict there, there would be problems. And God revealed that to me, and I said, Lord, I do this for you, man. You're such a gracious king that he even showed me that. And I will do that, and I will keep my mouth shut. And that's the only reason why the relationship is still happening today. And that's the only way you can stay at peace. Paul tells us, doesn't he? Be at peace with all men if it be possible, with as many as you possibly can. I say this, if you have an enemy, you have somebody with problems with, then you need to go to, you need to buy them flowers. You need to bend over backwards for them. You build the bridge as far as you possibly can. If they don't accept it, they're bad. You have done what you're supposed to do. Amen? Go out of your way to bless them. Jesus, our King, has done what? Built the bridge as far as He possibly can to every single man. And now what it is their opportunity, is their choice to grab on. And if they choose not, it's their own bad. God has done that for us. The least we can do is do it for others. You nourish them. You speak kindly to them. You bless them. And watch what will happen. Watch what you will be a Joseph. You'll be a Josephina. God will bless you for that. You know what? I really can't. I can stand here. I'm not to boast in Josh Thompson. I'll, I can stand here today and say, I do not have any enemies that I can think of. Enemies that I have not built as far as I possibly can, literally bought flowers for them. Bent over backwards as far as I can to build the bridge, and they have not accepted. And I'll reach out my hand to the day that I die, and if they burn it, that's okay. But I'll do whatever it takes to make sure that in the peace of all men, and if there is not peace, then we must do something to make it right. And you'll be blessed. It's nice not having enemies. It's nice walking around a church and not having to look down when the person walks past you. It's nice you know to give every single person a hug if you walk past. You can do it. Joseph did. Let's close this book up. Literally. This book. Verse 22, And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Maker, the sons of Manasseh, were brought upon Joseph's knee. I like that. You see that? His grandchildren. His grandchildren brought upon Joseph's knee. Oh, I like that. Even in back day, he was given, even in that day, way back when, they were given little pony rides on the knee. Joseph knew what it was all about. You know what? Man, you want to know why we young people, are, what we're preparing for? Why we are trying to live holy lives? Well, number one, because the king's worthy and he deserves it. But also because... Me and you are about to create generations. We are about to have families pretty soon, and who you are today is who your children will be. I guarantee it. 
how you pour into them and the way you change your life and prepare yourself for your family. That is what you will be. How are you going to raise your kids? Look at the way you walk and the way that you read and the way that you pray today. If you don't pray every day today, how can you pray with your children every day? If you don't study the Word, how can you teach it to your family every day? You have all these great visions and great things you want to do for your kids and your family one day? Then start doing them right now. Invest in your future right now today and watch the generation that you will make. Verse 24, And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you. And like that, oh, when I die, God will surely visit you. Man, Lord, visit us. And bring you out of this land into the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you. I like that. And ye shall carry upon my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, mummified him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. He's put in a coffin in Egypt. What are the last words? What are the last words that Joseph tells the children of Israel? He took an oath of the children of Israel. He says, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones from hence. Where? What are you talking about? He's going to be buried, right? In Egypt, in the coffin, his bones. Okay, now what happens? He tells the children of Israel, listen up, you guys, I want you to take my bones to where? To the promised land. To the promised land. Take my bones there. When I die, and when you guys go, you're taking it there with you. Now that takes faith, doesn't it? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, is it 19? Anyways, I think it's I think it's twenty eight. Yeah, twenty one, twenty two. Anyways, it says there that Joseph, in, in Hebrews chapter eleven, that Joseph had faith. How? He believed that his body would be taken. To, he told Israel, and he believed it that his body would be taken to the promised land when they went there. That takes faith. And I love thinking about that, the promised land. There's a promised land that we will be going to soon. You and I, us here in this room. A promised land that has, yes, been promised to us. We're going to be there. We're going to walk on the streets of gold, but it takes faith to believe. It takes faith in this day to believe that. Joseph had that faith. It takes faith to believe that there's a promised land that we're going to enter into. And if you don't have that faith, and if you're not able to believe, and you don't exercise that faith, then guess what? Your hope is gone in each day. When problems come, you have no hope. You have nothing. So what am I saying? The promised land. Don't get so caught up in reality. Many pastors say, or many preachers say, if you're too heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I say, slap me for it if I'm wrong. If you're not heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You're no earthly good. You can't be. If you do not have hope, you cannot bring hope to the people. If you do not think about heaven and the promised land and have faith in it, true faith, you get so caught up in reality, your schoolwork, and your work, jobs, family, friends, reality, what's happening right now in my face, you cannot see heaven. 
and your your heart will not be stirred, your soul will not be stirred daily. Amen? So let's go away tonight with those hearts of gold, like Joseph. And let's go away tonight, reflecting back on this book of Genesis, starts with creation, ends with bones. But you know what? That coffin is going to the promised land. And me and you are going there too. I promise you that. Hey, and it might be tonight, at about 10.37, we might be out of here. 10.37, that's the time in 37 seconds, and we're out, man. And never again will you see this earth and this body. You will be on the streets of gold, walking and looking into the eyes of Jesus. For reals, let that reality set in. Remind yourself, hey, self-talk yourself, that's what i got to do. Seriously, I just tell myself, like, John, you're going to heaven, man. People think you're a lunatic because you're talking to yourself. You know what? It really does brighten my day. It really does open my eyes. Amen? Let me pray. Fathers, Lord, we've taken in so much tonight. I just pray that you would really separate everything, King. That, Lord, the, the things that really spoke to certain people, that it would really, you drive it home late tonight, that you'd bring it back to their memory, that you'd help them and remind them the things that you want them to understand more, deeper in your word, deeper in you, Jesus. Make us the men and women you want us to be. We desire to be like Joseph, Lord. We want to live for you on this earth and make an impact that just blows away so many people. We want to be a blessing unto you, Father. We do it for you because you've been such a good God. And you've... Why us? Thank you for using us. Lord, no matter if we're in prison, we know that you're working this out for good. We know that at the end of those 20 years of prison, we will look back and say, God had a plan and he worked it out. And I'm free. And I'm blessed. So we trust you, Father. We put our faith in you tonight, King. We truly put our, please, you guys, if you're praying with me, put your faith in God, whatever that means, right now. Speak to God. I I trust you, Father. I put my faith in you, God. I believe in you. I know you're going to pull through. I know you can make my heart whole. Please, sanctify me. Work in me. Make me that person you want me to be. I need faith, Father. Build us, boost us, King. We love you and we dedicate ourselves to you tonight. We truly, we're here for you, God. If there's anything you need, you let us know. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.